coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy weekend to you. We're going to start the show with friend of the show, Melita Easters, Georgia Winlist Executive Director and Frequent Pundit on Fox 5's The Georgia Gang. Melita, thanks for joining me. Got big weekend plans? Um, some, yes. Okay. Seeing friends, doing things. Nice. I like that. It's. It looks like the weather's going to be good for it, too. So, Oh, absolutely. All right. So the, the news that I first latched onto this morning is the fact that Georgia Public Broadcasting, with their budget cuts, is getting rid of, I think, one of the few opportunities to hear conversation of a political dialogue from all spectrums and not just from the right. And I know it's ironic that I'm saying that on a left-wing show on America One Radio, which is a left-wing online radio station, but I actually like getting a little bit of both sides from time to time and hearing all spectrums. And Bill Nygut announced that uh, the show is being whacked, part of their budget cut process. June 30th will be the last episode. Had, Had you ever been on that show? I've been on it numerous times over a period of about six years. Uh Uh-huh. And always enjoyed being on the panel. Mm. I have a great deal of respect for Bill Nygut and the thoughtful approach he takes to asking smart questions, getting answers, guiding discussions. Mm. For example, the the show he did the morning after it was announced that former President Carter was receiving hospice care mm. was one of the most thoughtfully produced radio programs I'd ever heard. Bill quoted poetry that President Carter had written and asked people to comment on it. He really had, he really will go the extra mile sometimes to make sure that a program is very thoughtful and and very well thought out as someone with the institutional knowledge of his more than four decades of reporting in Atlanta, only someone like that can do. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's uh, well stated. It's also, uh, again, an opportunity to not just hear one side of the spectrum, but from varying spectrums. And I, I, I said earlier this week, I think the secret to CNN finding its footing again is to go back to what it used to do when it, they aired Crossfire. Crossfire to me was one of those rare opportunities, even in the 80s and 90s, where you didn't have right-wing this or left-wing that. You had both sides of the spectrum uh, represented and sometimes divergent spectrums as well. And while there may not have been common agreement, at least there was a conversation being had. We don't have that anymore. That's very true. And, and, being on a program which is a little bit like that, Georgia Gang, um, mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings, I know how very important it is to have both sides of the story taken into immediate proximity. Mm-hmm. And and I think Nygut's program and his platform did that very well. And I I don't know that it was all budget cuts you know i mean that that's yeah. the excuse they're given i i think greg bluestein's very thoughtful post on friday afternoon where he talked about the political um pushback on this program by r- republicans is well sourced and um it makes for a good read 
I did and, say something about that on Twitter when I saw the news. I was like, yeah, this, this, I, like, I can't imagine this show is that expensive to produce that, what was it? Was it 3% or 9% budget? Some, it was a big number of a budget cut would have meant that this one particular show was to meet the chopping block. I already know of people who have canceled monthly commitments to public broadcasting in protest of this show, <sighs> especially people in rural areas. Mm -hmm who count on a show like this, which comes to them from their local public broadcasting station yeah. and, and to see it canceled. They're very upset. This, this is a show that had a big following mm -hmm. and it's a show that provided a lot of information. It was a, a part of a lot of people's day. I'm hoping that um, Bill Nugget will find a way to, continue the format on a different platform well you tell him that i had to learn how to do this myself you just let him know that i had i had to walk through this process of learning how to do it myself if he needs any questions answered or needs to know what equipment to go get i i, I kind of have an idea how to do that so i don't mind helping him uh launch something if he wants to do something on his own uh as well well bill has always had a way of landing yeah Firmly on both feet. Mm -hmm. No, you're right about that. We're coming up, by the way, we're with Melita Easters from the Georgia Win List, uh, executive director there. We're coming up on the year anniversary of the shocking day that Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Dobbs decision. Uh, after a year, first of all, are, are there any commemorations, you know, being planned or any sort of uh, quiet protest or what, what, do you do you see anything on the calendar to observe this? I believe some groups are putting small things together, but there, there have already been some protests. I think here in Georgia, we're waiting anxiously mm -hmm. for the outcome of the Georgia Supreme Court decision on, um, on the six-week abortion ban. That case was argued in March, mm -hmm. at the end of March, just before Sonny died of the legislature. And we're waiting to see when the court will hand down their opinion about whether that law is constitutional under Georgia's privacy um, protections and under Georgia law. So forgive me because I don't follow the Georgia Supreme Court often enough to know how long it takes for them to deliberate a case. Is this an unusually long amount of time or is this on par or... I think it's kind of on par. Um, it it could come any day, truly. Mm. Um, and um, it it was a complicated case because at first the um, Fulton Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney set aside the law, but then the Supreme Court allowed the law to stand while they made their deliberations. And frankly, there are many people who watched the arguments on the day it was argued and do not have high hopes for the law being overturned by the Georgia Supreme Court based on the tenor of the questions asked justices. But of course, you know, there are hundreds of pages of briefs and counter um, and answers to briefs. And, and so it, the, the judges look at all of that in addition to what is said verbally in front of them. Hmm. 
We're with Melita Easters from the Georgia Win List. Do you watch? Do you get to listen to uh, much NPR on the weekend? I I, I watch or listen to this one particular show frequently because I'm on the road Sunday mornings to go play softball. The Moth and uh, the story that Robin Oot shared um, with regards to bodily autonomy and what she and her husband went through the first time. Uh, you know, they had to make the unfortunate choice to abort. Um, a pregnancy. I don't know. Have you have you had a chance to listen to that, or had you listened to that before? I have not heard that particular story, but I do know of many stories amongst friends and in other news reports. I have read of the heart wrenching decisions people must make when they have a non viable pregnancy, mm-hmm. and must make the tough decision to to have the the procedure so that the woman's life is no longer in danger mm-hmm. for carrying a non-viable pregnancy to term. It's a gut-wrenching decision mm-hmm. for people, particularly when those babies are so wanted and some people have already decorated nurseries oh, and yeah. bought baby clothes and had baby showers when they have these these horrible diagnoses that lead to a, a pregnancy termination. And those are the things that need to be between a woman, her partner, and her doctor, mm-hmm. and not decided by Republican politicians in a General Assembly meeting room. She spoke of the forms that she would have to fill out requiring, you know, ultrasounds and this, that, and the other, and, you know, the, the, the triple questioning of you're aware what you're doing, you're aware you are terminating a life, blah, 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 blah. It, it just, I don't, it's something to, you know what, I'll send you the link later so that you can check it out for yourself, and uh, we'll share it in today's show notes as well. I think I may have done that once before, actually. It was just such a, a cold and callous, you know, disregard on documentation that, that, that women and you know, their spouses and family and loved ones, of course, have to uh, endure filling out as well. That just really brought another level to the tragedy of the Dobbs decision era that we now live in. Well, that's true. And and sometimes these questionnaires that, that legislatures dictate yeah. are designed to make women feel shame, to make them feel, um, to reconsider as if a woman who who has a, a medically non-viable pregnancy has the option of reconsidering. Right. It's it, it, when when legislators start practicing medicine on many different fronts, the the medical training and sensitivity goes straight out the window. Yeah. It, it it does seem that way. It's just unfortunate. To, like I said, it's a fantastic listen. I'm I'm driving to a softball game Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago, and my eyes are just watering from this. And I'm like, how am I going to go out there and be competitive in a softball match after listening to this? But uh, I just thought it was pretty interesting stuff. Well, listen, I'm going to let you get to your weekend. I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time to discuss, uh, again, the... The, the terrible news coming out of Georgia Public Broadcasting earlier today that Political Rewind will be coming to an end at the end of this month and, of course, to uh, annotate the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision ending Roe versus Wade. Melita Easter's Georgia Win List. Have yourself a great weekend. Thanks, you too. Thanks for having me on. I would be remiss without reminding you, by the way, that Melita, again, is one of the frequent pundits on Fox 5's The Georgia Gang, which I think airs on a 
couple other stations throughout the state as well. If you're listening outside of Metro Atlanta, look for the Georgia Gang on your Sunday broadcast guide. Does anybody get the TV guide anymore? I don't think so. Anyway, Melita, uh, of course, on the panel there uh, most Sunday mornings. It airs in Atlanta, 8.30 to 9 a.m. on Fox 5. With the friendly and stern but fair Lori Geary moderating that panel. We'll talk more about Political Rewind in just a few minutes. Later in the show, Alex Joseph joins us. She among the uh, many who have volunteered to help with some of the legal issues with the Stop Cop City movement. They're working on getting that petition out, and City Hall kind of threw them a little bit of a wrench in the works heading into a three-day weekend with Juneteenth coming up on Monday. An opportunity to get all kinds of signatures will not happen this weekend and we'll let alex joseph update us on exactly why that is that's to come later on the run show here on the america one radio app america one radio.com or wherever you podcast past podcast episodes you can listen to them wherever you podcast or at ronshowatl.com back after this welcome back to the ron show weekend edition our thanks again to Belita easters from the georgia Windlist for joining us she broke a little bit of news in that first segment of the show that she's already hearing from GPB donors who are canceling their memberships as we speak in the throes of the news that broke this morning that Georgia Public Broadcasting's radio show, Political Rewind, with host Bill Nygut, was being whacked at the end of this month. She also mentioned, by the way, that, and, and I, you know, I don't like to do the conspiracy theory thing. I don't like to say, well, Republicans are going. I just don't like doing that because it just kind of it kind of smacks of defeatism or you know making much ado about nothing, crying wolf, et cetera, and so on. I even tweeted earlier today. This is exactly what I said uh, when Greg Bluestein broke the news on Twitter. I routinely enjoyed the dialogue. Even prompted me to begin my own show in some respects unsure what sort of budget the show had but suffice to say mine is minimal af i'm not going to tell you what af stands for you should figure that out it's minimal as there this feels targeted i hope i'm wrong but i also know how the gop likes to smother dissent see that's (laughs) okay so that was me personally but at the same time actually there's more to the story, and Greg Bluestein's all over it. The details are still murky, he writes, but here's what I know. Taya Ryan, GPB's longtime director, was one of the show's biggest champions. When I reported on Ryan's retirement in May, I received tips that Nygut could be in peril after her departures. Two officials told me an agreement had been made behind closed doors by the board and Ryan's successor, Bert Wesley Huffman, to axe the show. A GPB spokeswoman said, quote, there was no deal with the board. Why the backlash against Political Rewind? This is, again, Greg Bluestein writing. Some conservatives have long grumbled about the show, unhappy with Nugget's fact-based treatment of Trump and the mainstream GOP voices he features over those in the party's far-right wing. Back in 2021, the Republican-controlled legislature threatened a roughly $500,000 cut that Ryan, at the time, saw as payback for the station's, quote, perceived liberal bent. NPR stations have always faced that backlash, by the way. Greg Bluestein continues, Ryan was able to stave off the cuts 
in part by reminding legislators that state funding mostly pays for educational programs and distribution towers. Much of the news programming is financed by grants and private donations. This year, however, Ryan couldn't prevent GPB from being targeted despite a record budget and bountiful surplus. At the urging of Senate Republicans, lawmakers slashed GPB's budget by roughly 9% or $1.4 million. When pressed on the cuts, one GOP leader cited complaints from small-town talk radio hosts on commercial stations peeved they weren't getting state money. Oh my God. Greg Bluestein continues, Now Georgians will be left without Nygut's show at a crucial time, deprived of a bastion of civility and informed discussion ahead of a momentous race for the White House that could hinge on our state. In his farewell note, Nygut calls the job his favorite of any other in his 40-year career in journalism. Nygut said, We've given our audience a better understanding of the tumultuous times in which we are living. We've been a corner of sanity and reason every day of the week. Greg Bluestein adds, I'll write what he was too polite to add. The end of Nugget's show means Georgians will be less informed about the politics and policies that define their state. He's not wrong. And and the, the, the talk radio for-profit stations that are complaining they don't get state money. I mean, first of all, Let's be honest, there aren't many or any that I can think of AM or FM talk stations in the state that are an opportunity for all sides and viewpoints to be recognized and heard. Bill Nygut's show offered that five days a week, airing 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. Uh, here in Atlanta on, uh, on, on the GPB station here anyway. Those other entities, whether they be like the little local Laura Ingraham or the little town Tucker Carlson, that you don't you don't get state money for that. I'm sorry, you don't. You're selling airtime, which by the way, GPB isn't. You're selling airtime, but you're also not providing an open forum for civil discourse and welcoming all perspectives. I don't. I don't understand the apples and orangutans. Yeah, the, the comparison to me is goofy. Come on, we already got rid of the fairness doctrine, which would have had these small town radio shows doing exactly what Bill Nygut was doing in that vacuum. So we got rid of the fairness doctrine. So we don't have that anymore. Remember, I, I in fact I said this with Malia the last segment, and I said it earlier this week. If if CNN wants to find its its lane. It needs to take that lane, the fairness doctrine lane, the the crossfire. Get get the left, get the right on the same dais. Air that bad boy. It, it works for sports, cable television. Every day, one or two different programs has one person on this side, one person on that side, or four people on a panel all going a, literally around the horn. There's a show called Around the Horn. But the local conservative talk station the 1063 up the road in Metro Atlanta, or the WSB, they don't do that. They don't do that. So, because Republicans wanted to exact some method of smothering dissent, here we go again, smothering dissent, the state of Georgia loses political rewind with Bill Nygut.
This is essentially a form of censorship. This is a trait of, well, dare I say it, fascism. I guess I should be fortunate this isn't something that's tied to anybody's laws, ability to, to enact laws, no governmental budget. <laughs> I, I, I pay for my equipment. The airtime is mine to do with as I please, and I'm grateful to America One Radio for that and the podcast platforms as well. I guess I should just count my blessings, huh? But but this is also, uh, I talk a lot about how the radio industry is, is killing itself. <laughs> Obviously, politicians don't usually participate in the radio industry except to allow the deep-pocketed donors to control it and kill it themselves. But this is another method for killing a broadcast industry. Not here, baby. More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. And while a lot of us are looking forward to the weekend and relaxing and chilling and kind of de-stressing a little bit, I got to think the folks in the Stop Cop City movement might be stressing a little bit and... There's good reason for that. We're heading into what is a three-day weekend for a lot of folks with Juneteenth coming up on Monday. But that's that, that's like losing daylight time. Where You know, you hear that story, oh, we're losing daylight. The Stop Cop City movement is losing a little bit of daylight because City Hall is going to be closed. And from what I understand, City Hall may be unexpectedly closed as we speak before we get to the 5 p.m. hours this show is produced. And joining me is a former state and federal prosecutor, Stop Cop City Movement volunteer. She's, of course, uh, basically working for their legal team. You are their legal team, right? Alex Joseph joining us. How are you? Hi. Great to be here. And no, no, I'm definitely not the legal team. We have a huge <laughs> uh, bench of volunteer lawyers, so I am just one of many. Yeah. Love that. So uh, it's my understanding that the petition that was submitted uh, looked looked fairly boilerplate, but then the city threw a wrench in the works, and now they're not even open today to handle this, and they're not going to be open. Can, am, I, am, I, am I characterizing this all correctly? Yeah, I, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic than most of the organizers, all which right. is the city has never seen a referendum petition before. This is one of a kind. And similarly, we had never, no one in the state had ever drawn up a referendum petition for a city or for in, for the city of Atlanta, right? All, right? All right. And so we are both dealing with a novel situation. So we handed them this referendum petition, and I think they very much did not know what to do with, with it. And they told us we were missing a signature line. And that's what's caused the delay, and that's what we're waiting for. When you say it's missing a signature line, obviously you had something for folks to sign, but did it not have enough lines for enough people? Right. Or it what? Is missing a signature line for the person that is collecting the petition to oh, sign. Oh, okay. So that's it? Yes. And I want to be really clear because I think this has been lost in the shuffle. All right. It is. It was as a courtesy that the Stop Cop City folks gave the clerk's office a copy of our draft petition. Right. If you look at the statute, it clearly says that it is the clerk's office that actually needs to prepare the petition. Mm. So they let us know, hey, you have left off this signature line, but that is actually theirs to prepare. Mm. And so it is our position that there is a seven-day timeline 
in the statute that says, hey, clerk's office, you have to prepare and approve this petition within seven days. And they have blown past that deadline. So the deadline was we turned it in a week ago, over a week ago, and Wednesday was their seven days up. And so at this point, they've missed the deadline. And no sooner than at earliest Tuesday morning could you actually be hitting the streets with this petition to get signed. Am I right? That's correct. And the reason it matters is because once the petition is certified, it's like a starter's pistol and we have to start gathering the signatures. We only have 60 days to gather the signatures. Mm -hmm. And the issue there is that we want to make the November 7th ballot. And so in order to make the ballot, everything a little bit has to go on schedule And so this is the first time we're being bumped off schedule a little bit. I will say we built some buffer days into our own internal timeline, but we can't afford too many more hiccups. I was just going to ask you if we still had like a few days left to burn here or if we were already up up against the ropes here. We're up against, well, we have a few more days, but, you know, not not that many, right? Okay. Okay. And the other issue is that... um, We do feel that I don't think that this is an example of that, but we do feel like the city is going to throw a lot at us to stop the referendum effort. And we as a legal team predicted it. And this is not um, one of the hiccups that we predicted. Right. We thought because there's that seven day timeline to approve it, we thought that within seven days we would be getting it back. And that's we organized a kickoff party on Wednesday and we really um, predicted that that's when we would start gathering signatures. And there's a lot of excitement. Right. So it's a little bit like the start of a race. People are people are ready to go. And we definitely want to you know start the race and so i think that's why we're feeling some uh anxiety and uh excitement yeah and it's kind of hard to fake that adrenaline when you've got that adrenaline going before you are going to start a race or something like that you know it's just kind of hard to manufacture it when you're already running a little bit late anyway can you can you verbalize for us what the referendum actually says Yeah, so the referendum petition is actually the ballot language. So it's what would appear on the ballot on November 7th. It's very simple. It's it's basically one sentence, and it is that it's repealing the ordinance that granted the the Atlanta Police Foundation the lease to the uh, land that they're using to build the facility. So the city council in 2021 passed an ordinance that gave the mayor permission or authority to sign a contract giving Atlanta Police Foundation its land to lease to build the facility. And that contract, that lease, would be canceled. Mm. And I want to highlight that the co- the, uh, the language we are using um, in our ballot, uh, our referendum language, it closely mirrors the language that was used in Camden County in their recent successful referendum. And that's why we feel confident that we're walking on pre-established, you know, solid legal ground. For those who don't recall, the Camden County initiative was to end the public funding for a spaceport on the southeast Georgia coast. Uh, They were successful in that endeavor. Although I, I remember reading something earlier this week that there is still money going towards property, but nonetheless, the public funding of a spaceport uh, was was stifled by referendum, and that's what the Stop Cop City movement is trying to uh, uh, replicate here. I want to offer a slight correction, which is specifically the Camden referendum canceled the contract. So in Camden, it was that the county commissioners had voted to approve a contract whereby public land would be sold for the construction of a spaceport. And the referendum in that case canceled the contract. And so we are doing the same thing they did in Camden, which is canceling a contract. 
Um, obviously, since you're volunteering, you're, you said one of the many uh, legal volunteers for the Stop Cop City movement. What what was the reaction to the news that Fulton County now is planning to go forward with a, another law enforcement training facility? Of course, this one will be in Fulton County, novel approach, uh, as opposed to outside its limits. But what was the, the general reaction of that? I mean, I think that anyone involved in the Stop Cop City movement was not surprised because as a former prosecutor, I know that the greatest threat of Cop City is not just Cop City, it's the precedent it will set, which is that different municipalities and counties across Georgia are going to want to build their own militarized police training center. And that is because one, building these types of centers even if they have a big price tag, they are cheaper than paying police officers a living wage and giving them a pension and benefits. Mm. So it is a cheap and easy way to make your officers happy. Two, property owners feel secure. Look, we have a militarized police presence. And then three, cities and counties, unfortunately, like to be in the business of one-upping each other. And a fancy training facility is one way to do that. And so... The, the announcement that Fulton County is building its training center was not surprising. And I will say this, the cop, the stop cop city tent is a big tent. It is full of people that want no cops that want to, that want to abolish cops. But if you're listening and you're someone that says, I don't want to abolish police, but I do think that they need to be reformed. Mm-hmm. I will tell you this many centers is a obstacle for reforming police because you cannot easily reform police if you have to call over 200 individual police departments in the state of Georgia and, you know, advise them about reforms. It's so much easier to call one training facility. So I keep drawing attention to the fact that there is a large training facility in yes. Forsyth, Georgia, that trains the officers statewide, and that should be our only facility because it will be easier to reform police because it's just one facility that handles all of the training, and you can have statewide standards. We're with uh, Alex Joseph, who is uh, on the legal team there for the Stop Cop City movement. She's a former state and federal prosecutor as well. Alex, it's uh, I believe it was John Roots who was reporting at the Supporter Report that actually the Atlanta Police Foundation tried to bring Fulton County in on Cop City. Uh, is that right? It was a two-year yeah, so story? That was, that was actually the piece of the reporting that surprised me, which is that Fulton County had the opportunity to be part of Cop City, and they said no. And they said no in part because they wanted to control their own facility, Mm -hmm. and then in part because the city of Atlanta was saying, and you have to pay us $4 million a year to take part in this, right? And I want to once again reiterate that different – that we have a tendency in this country and in this state for cities and counties to act like their own, you know, little fiefdoms. Yeah. And – you know, sheriffs like being in control of their their sheriff deputies, police chiefs like being in control of their people. And so this idea that if we allow small cities and counties or big cities and counties to have their own police forces or police training centers, that they're not all going to want them. Mm-hmm. That's a fantasy. They're all going to want them. There's going to be a lot of competition for them. And for me, uh, I'm also a foster parent. It is deeply frustrating to see that my tax dollars are going to pay for two facilities, right? A Fulton County facility and Cop City when, you know, foster children are sleeping on the floor at the DFAC's office Mm -hmm. and I'm getting, you know, $50. And I know we all have our own pet issues, but it is an extraordinary amount of money that seems very duplicative, especially when we have a state-of-the-art statewide facility in Forsyth. 
Also, uh, it's just in my condo building, a lot of uh, condo owners got their, their tax bill from the city, and uh, they're not happy with the numbers they're seeing. And, and the, one of the first complaints that come up is Atlanta Public Schools, but I, I thought that was kind of interesting that that came up. And then last week, we were told that now city council folks are opining that perhaps they need to raise taxes to take care of city parks after they just wrote a $67 million check for this facility. Right. And one of the interesting things, going back to sort of the discussion about police reform, is like, if you believe in police reform, well, then those training centers, they look like a lot of indoor classrooms, right? They look like, you know, discussions about community policing, about de-escalation. And so it's even harder to justify these giant price tags, because the giant price tags are for helicopters. They're for tanks, right? They're not for classrooms where officers are learning the skills that we hope that we see on our streets where they're de-escalating situations, right? Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I want to say is I was also struck by the difference in price tags, right? Why is Fulton County's facility $15 million? Right. And then the facility in Atlanta is going to be over $100 million at the end of the day. I mean, that disparity, I think, is worth noting. And I tell you what, it's just odd to me. Like, every time we talk, as the weeks go by, the price tag of this new Atlanta public safety training facility grows by 5 to $10 million. It's just uncanny how this all plays out. By the way, and, and, and I have to also give credit to the supporter report. I believe it was the same reporter, uh, uh, John Roots, who were, had reported that the city owns a lot of unused property uh, that equals the amount of acreage, like like content, uh, all, all congruous to each other, that they could have been using and opted not to. Yeah, I was really brought into the Stop Cop City movement because of what I viewed as government lies and misinformation. Mm. And in particular, it's this idea that they're building a militarized police training center outside of city limits, surrounded by a buffer force, so we don't really know what they're doing. And I do think if the city of Atlanta citizens want this, well, then we should have to live with it, and it should be within city boundaries, right? Like, it is not okay to push this off on our neighbors. That's what really sucks. About, I mean, I, you know, listen, I'm, I support any idea of putting something to a referendum to let the voters decide. Unfortunately, the voters most impacted aren't Atlanta City voters. They're DeKalb County voters. Right. And the missing signature line on the petition that has now been added. And I will say we turned in the amended petition. They alerted us to the issue on Wednesday. Uh-huh. We amended it and submitted our amended petition. The signature is to attest that they themselves are from the city of Atlanta. So we now know that only Atlanta, city of Atlanta citizens, residents can collect petitions. So we this whole time have been saying, if you live in DeKalb and you want to get involved, please canvas for the referendum. And this is just one more way that they are being shut out of the process. And I will say this, we've now been researching this issue because we were unaware of this residency requirement. I was going to ask if it's legal. Courts across the country have said it's illegal, most recently um, the First Circuit in Maine, because it violates your First Amendment. The idea behind it is they don't want outsiders, you know, um, gathering petitions. But, I mean, the Atlanta example is a perfect example. This is an outsider issue. Like, you don't get to pretend that this is a local issue when you're building the facility in a different county or <laughs> right. outside of city limits. Yeah. And so why should they not be allowed to get so, – oh, so it hasn't been struck down in Georgia – but it has been struck down by four other courts and they've all ruled like using the same logic, the same case law, which is that it's unconstitutional. And so if we were to challenge that residency requirement for gathering petitions, we are confident we would fail. I was just going to ask you, is this something you guys are going to challenge? 
So we are looking to run a very clean referendum, which means we want to follow all the rules because we anticipate legal challenges. So we are going to get over 70,000 signatures. If they require us to have City of Atlanta residents collect the signatures, we're going to do so. And our hope is that we have a pile of signatures at the end of the day Mm. that check every box and therefore they can't throw out any of those signatures, right? Because at the end of the day, the people signing the petition, they, they don't support cop city. They want to support the referendum. And so we want to make sure that their votes are heard and counted. Right. Mm -hmm. That said, we anticipate a nasty fight over the signatures where they're they're being, they being the city are going to want to challenge our signatures. And so we are considering one, how are they going to challenge it? And two, what will our defense be? And so in that they're challenging it over the residency requirement of the petition gatherer, we do feel confident we will prevail, but we're hoping to avoid those fights because we want to see this on the ballot. We don't want to be fighting in a court. We want it in the ballot. Gotcha. Well, I hate that we're heading into the weekend and you guys don't already have these ballots or these uh, referendum uh, petitions on clipboards because it's going to be a long three-day weekend. There's going to be folks out and about doing stuff, but I'm sure once you guys have it in hand, you'll have the army out there. Alex Joseph, thanks for joining us and catching us up on what's happening inside the Cop City movement. All right. Thanks for having me. I've done enough canvassing for campaigns and candidates to know that the weekend is an important time to get work done. It's unfortunate this weekend will not be one. More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for the week. (laughs) Can you tell I'm ready for a little R&R for the uh, next day or two? So sometimes it's good to let a conversation internally happen internally, right? Like I like listening to women talk about women's issues without injecting my opinion. Sometimes the same thing can be said for conversations of color within the African-American community. So President Obama uh, was recently interviewed by The Recount discussing Senator Tim Scott's rhetoric on racism. Scott, of course, is running for president. Here's what President Obama said. I'm not being cynical about Tim Scott individually. I am maybe suggesting that the rhetoric of can't we all get along mm-hmm. and the quotes you made about, uh, you know, from my speech in mm-hmm. 2004 about there's a United states of america that has to be undergirded with an honest accounting of our past and our present and so if a republican who may even be sincere in saying Mm -hmm. i want us all to live together doesn't have a plan for how do we address crippling generational poverty that is a consequence of hundreds of years of racism in the society, and we need to do something about that. If that candidate is not willing to acknowledge that, you know, again and again, we've seen discrimination in everything from job practice, uh, you know, getting a job to buying a house to how the criminal justice system operates. And, and so that somebody who does the exact same offense, the, kind of sentencing the likelihood that they do jail time is going to be different based on their race. If, if somebody's not proposing, not both acknowledging and proposing elements that say, no, we can't just 
ignore all that and pretend as if everything's equal and fair. We actually have to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. If they're not doing that, then I think people are rightly skeptical. Tim Scott did fire back, of course, on Fox News. He missed a softball moving at slow speed with a big bat. You can't miss this opportunity. And I will tell you, the one thing the far left does not want a black person to be in this country is a conservative. It is possible for America to come together, but not because of the color of our skin, but because of the consistency of our value system. There were detractors, uh, particularly on Twitter, who kind of scoffed at what Obama said. Rhetoric like this, uh, says the privileged mixed-race man from Hawaii to a black man who grew up in the Deep South. I, I, I don't understand that sort of clapback, honestly. I'm really confused by those who recall Barack's better-than-usual upbringing as some proper response, that he still understands the plight of black Americans confuses these folks. It's a trait called empathy, by the way. And unfortunately, a lot of these folks lack it. I mean, I'm not black either. But I understand and uh, pay attention to and learn from history. I see data. I listen to the affected. I live in a majority-minority city, work in the housing industry. You don't have to do all of that, but I would suggest that these folks at least try history, data, and the listening part, at the very least. By the way, Senator Tim Scott's not the first one to say something about far left and, and fearing black conservatism. They're trying to destroy Herschel to deter young men and women of color from being Republicans. If they destroy Herschel, it will deter people of color from wanting to be a conservative Republican because you just have your life ruined. We cannot let that happen. We need his. We need to have his back. That's right. It sounded familiar, didn't it? It's not about helping people. It's not about uplifting the marginalized. It's, it's about the party. And that's, even if you take the MAGA portion of the GOP out, that's the problem with the GOP. It's party first, people second, or third, if you count the lobbyists. I'm going to give Tim Scott his due. He has had a substantive position when it comes to police and judicial reform, so glad he's on board there. But the other stuff that uh, President Obama spoke to, all the history and disparities that existed over time, that didn't just go away, that haven't just disappeared, and the effects of didn't just go away and disappear, even if some of those issues have subsided over time, that has to be addressed, the, the after effects. The effects have to be addressed. You can't just pretend that they don't exist anymore just because you naively think, time heals all wounds, it's all, it's all good now. I have the same problem with log cabin Republicans. Uh, congratulations, you've done well, that's great. You you don't have any issue. I, I saw a guy yesterday at uh, the, uh, the 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 pre party before the game, and I know this guy. He's a he's a nice guy. I think he's in real estate too, and he's a log cabin conservative, handsome fella. Grew up in a well to do family. I mean, he won a lot of life lottery tickets. You know, congratulations. But it ain't like that for most people. It doesn't mean just because oh, I haven't been affected. It's not really that's the problem. Tim Scott really had uh, a storybook upbringing and overcame a lot on it. And that's great. But that also means there were likely some impediments that he didn't have to deal with as well. 
I'm not dismissing his story. I'm saying he shouldn't dismiss others. That one size fits all anecdotology stuff. We got we got to stop doing that, y'all. We got to start th- working again on the empathy part. All right. Before I wrap the show, I want to thank uh, today's guests, Melita Easters from the Georgia Windlist, for joining me, as well as Alex Joseph with the Stop Cop City campaign. She, of course, providing them some legal assistance. Back here Monday, Juneteenth, and weekdays, five to six p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or on your podcasts. Catch up on the show at ronshowatl.com. We'll see you Monday.